Uh, we've been going through James, and we've been just looking at the, the concept that James is all about practical, everyday wisdom for our lives. It's just good advice that God has for the church and how we should be living. And really, it's probably one of the easiest books to understand in Scripture. I mean, it is just straightforward, boom, hits you in the face constantly. You know, think about the words that you use. They matter. Don't just say that you're going to do something. Actually do it. Uh, You know, just over and over and over again, he gives us these things that are just like boom, boom, boom. Well, chapter 4, that really is connected to chapter 5. There really shouldn't be a, a, a break there. We've gotten into a series of warnings. So James has kind of talked about, hey, your, your tongue, you need to watch. Th- I am popping like crazy. It's okay, enemy. You ain't winning today. We got this. And uh, <clears throat> he's been talking about just all these different things. And then he moves into four and he starts giving us these warnings. Hey, you need to pay attention. Some, there's some serious things. And a warning is there to make us sit up and take notice. So he gives us warnings. The first one was about worldliness. We need to make sure we're avoiding trying to be more like the world and trying to be in the world and in Christ at the same time. And he talks about that. Then last week, Mark led us in just a beautiful sermon about our schedules and the arrogance that we can have sometimes of thinking that we can do more and we can achieve more and we'll just get more busier and more busier and uh, that, that there's a lot of arrogance associated in that and we need to realize that we need to do what Christ expects us to do, not what the world and the pressures around us put on us to do. And then this week he leads us right into a warning about money. So therefore I've titled it Mo Money, Mo Problems. Now, <clears throat> There's three things you're not supposed to talk about in life. What are they? Money, politics. Whoa, I got sex and religion. <clears throat> I like it. <clears throat> I'm very comfortable talking about sex, but <clears throat> that's not typically what the third thing is. That's funny you said that. I'm not even going to look at you because I don't want to embarrass you. But we should talk about it more because it's one area where the, the enemy loves to shame us. But there's a reason we don't talk about those three things, right? Money, religion, politics, because it's, it creates just awkward tension in relationships. It makes people uncomfortable. Even when Matt said what he said about, you know, voting and politics, right away people were just like, oh, no, he's going to the elections. Like, right? We don't talk about those things because we don't want to make people uncomfortable. It's considered impolite in certain circles, and you can make people, you know, feel, you know, just upset and you're going to cause problems and everything. Well, I'm going to talk about them. So we'll, we'll start with the easy ones. Religion, it's kind of a duh thing. I mean, I'm up here preaching, so I hope you know kind of where I am with that. But in case you don't, I'll make it very clear for you. There is only one way to God Almighty, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ, who died for my sins and your sins, whether you accept it or reject it, on a cross, three days later, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven after that, and rules and reigns as the Son of the Most High God, and is coming again someday to take me back home with him. That is my view on religion. I don't apologize for that. If you reject that, I firmly believe you will spend eternity separated from God, burning in an everlasting hellfire prepared for those who reject God. I believe that with all confidence. If that offends you, that's the gospel. So that's religion. Check. Oh, now you're like, now it's getting good. Politics. <clears throat> I'm 44. I know, I don't look at it at all. 
44. I've been voting since I was 18 in just about every election that's been available in, in counties. I voted at college by absentee ballots. I've always voted. I've voted. Are you ready for this? Democrat and Republican and Independent. <gasps> for presidents, I've voted for Democratic presidents once. you know that? I did. I did. I voted for Independents. I voted for Republicans. I, I don't sit and look at the letter and say, okay, that's what I'm voting. I sit and think, who is going to most hold up the values that I have as a child of God? Not who do I think is going to make my pocketbook better and, you know, all of that other stuff. I, I try and look at it and say, okay, God, who are you putting on my heart that you think I should vote for? So I'm not necessarily just Republican. I'm not just Democrat. I'm not independent. I want someone that's going to hold up my values. And that's what I vote for. So there's that. Uh, money. I make $31,900 a year as of the end of October. No. Oh, my gosh. He said it out loud. That's less money than I've ever made since I graduated with my degree in college back uh, when I was 22. So I'm going the opposite direction <laughs> that the world would tell you you're supposed to go in life. And uh, it's interesting Wait for the end today. Don't leave early because you'll miss out how that 31900 comes into play. Um, but that's how much I make. Uh, that pays the bills combined with my wife's salary at the hospital. Uh, if you want to ask her how much she makes, you can talk to her about it. But I'm, I'm not going to be embarrassed or ashamed by how much I don't make or do make or should make or, or whatever else. Or do I think I'm more than that, worth more than that? You know what? God, God meets my needs. I got a roof over my head. I got more kids than a man should have. I got a beautiful wife. I got nice clothes. I've got food. I got up this morning, made myself a nice cup of coffee and my Keurig uh, that my sister just gave me. Praise God. Thank you, Shell, if you ever watch this. Like, I, I, I'm very blessed. I'm very blessed, and, and I'm very happy. And I just refuse to kind of be a slave, if you will, or subject to these things that society tells us. Like, oh, no, 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 no. Why? It's just more what the enemy does to keep us isolated, keep us excluded, to keep us, you know, oh, you can't do that. Certain things are, you don't talk about religion. I don't care. I don't care because God talks about it. So, more money, more problems. Now, you're going to understand why I said what I said about Mark not loving me very much when you read this passage because we're going to start. We got six verses is it this morning. I got three points. They're not hard points. It's not a hard passage. You'll, you'll see when you read, if you haven't read this, you read it and you're like, Okay, and then it just ends. Like, there's no hope at the end of verse 6. So this doesn't resolve nicely like music. This is like a jazz piece almost, if you will. It's just playing, and then boom, it's done. And you're like, wait, is that the end? Like, where's the like, but God? And all? it's not there. So let's read the first six verses together. We're going to jump in. There is one key point behind the money, and we're going to get to that. So here we go, verse number 1. Let me put these on because I'm telling you, the last few months, I'm getting older. All right, so verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Thank you, Mark. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you. And will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields 
which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Boom. That's it. Doesn't that make you feel good? Now, let me give you a warning in addition to James' warning up front. Because this is, this is the tendency we have. This was my tendency even as I first approached this text. I'm not rich. I make $31,900 a year. I'm not rich. I'm not Bill Gates. I'm not a professional athlete. I'm not an entertainment. I didn't win the lottery in spite of really trying because I wanted to give to the church. Right? I, I am not loaded. So I, I know what James is saying here. And so I know I agree with him. And I pity the person that makes six figures a year because, wow, James is talking to you. Hold on a minute. Hold on. This is not about money. These six verses have almost nothing to do with money, quite honestly, even though we're going to talk about money. Ultimately, this is about one thing, lordship. If you get nothing else this morning, if you don't remember anything I say, and it's not about me, but please remember this. This is all about Jesus Christ either being Lord or not Lord. Very, very simple but difficult concept. This word Lord, James actually refers to his brother Jesus 14 times in this book as Lord. James does not want us to lose sight of the fact that Jesus Christ, of all the titles he has been given, and we see it even in our text this morning, of all the titles that Jesus is worthy of, perhaps none is weighty as that of Lord. The title is used over 700 and nearly 50 times in the Bible. Jesus as Lord. And the reason is so important, as we've said from week one in James, James is not about a confirmation. It's not about feeling better about yourself. James is everything about transformation. It's about moving from where you are into what God wants you to be, into who God has made you to be. And transformation is something that takes place over time. It doesn't just instantaneously happen. And so what James is getting us to think through is when it comes to things like wisdom and when it comes to things like being popular in the world and when it comes to things like our schedules and even when it comes to things like money, We have to stop and say, is Jesus truly Lord? Not do I believe he is Lord, but have I made him Lord in my life above everything else? Ultimately, the question for us is, what is that thing that we depend on more than anything else to keep us satisfied, to make us happy, to bring us purpose in life, to give us joy? What is the thing we turn to, we go to, that we just feel like, "Mm, if I could have this, then my life would be that? Jesus, above everything else, wants us to understand that he desires for that thing to be him and him alone. But for us, often, 
I think James' argument is that for a lot of people, it's about money or about what money represents. If I could just get that new car, mm, you can't beat the new car smell. It's so fresh and makes you feel so good and it just elevates your esteem as a person. You feel like you've done something right. Or if I could just get that kitchen updated in our house and my wife and I watch way too much HGTV, House Hunters, and renovation shows. That stuff is good, but you watch it and you're like, really? I mean, people come, oh, this quartz is outdated. This granite needs to be updated. I'm like, really? Come to my house and you'll see an updated need, right? Oh, if only these cabinets were shaker style. And, and they just, you know, we look at, and oh, if only I had the perfect kitchen with the biggest range and 22 burners where I could cook a feast and the Pop-Tarts every morning. Life would be perfect. If only I could get that new phone, that new model is out. Oh, the laptop. If I could get that laptop, I would be so happy. I could do all my work and life would just be clicking on all cylinders and life would be great. Oh, if I could just have that relationship. I have longed to be with somebody since the day I was in my crib. I was crying because I didn't have anybody and I just want somebody. I need somebody. Clothes. Oh, if I could just have the latest fashions. Mm. I would look good. I have family members that buy shirts over $700 and are miserable. Crazy, right? Crazy. Food. Oh, if I could eat like five-star meals every day. Mm. Now you come to my house when my wife cooks, you would. Is that bonus points? (laughs) She's like, no, that's not true. It's not true. I do the cooking anyway. But food for some of us. How about makeup? And I hope I'm talking to the most of the ladies, but sometimes guys, I guess, imbibe. If you do, grow a beard. But makeup for something, if I have enough of it, I'll be happy. I'll feel better about how I look. I'll be presentable. I'll, I'll be what the, you know, the world says is beautiful and all these other. I can keep sports, entertainment, talent, ability. If I had these things and God says, no, I want to be Lord. I want to be your purpose. I want to be your satisfaction, your happiness. Are all those things bad and sinful and evil? No. But when they take the place of being Lord in our life, of being the thing that motivates us and drives us and stirs us, that's an issue. Because Christ won't share position in our life. So this is not about money. It's about lordship. So let's read, again, the, the first three verses. We're, we're going to get through half the text right now. You ready? Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. So point number one is this. The purpose of work is not to retire. That's a direct contradiction to the American dream. But do you understand... Work has existed since the garden. God said, here, I've made something beautiful for you. Now work. It has existed from the beginning of time. And God's purpose from the beginning of time is not for Adam or you and I to work so hard early on that when we get old, we get to retire and stop working. That's why the text here at the end says, you have laid up treasure in the last days. James continues his warning because he wants us to understand God expects us to be completely dependent on him. Not on a 401k, not on have I got enough gold bars stacked away somewhere, not did I have enough babies so someday they'll take care of me in my old age. He's not, he's not wanting us to do that. He's saying, I want you to live dependent upon me. 
And typically, when we're wealthy, we have this sense of, I don't really need a lot from God. Because I've got a turkey in the oven. I got that. I paid for it. I worked hard. I got a paycheck. And I bought that. And I'm going to keep working hard and keep working hard. And someday, I get to retire. And when we have our needs met, when we have our needs met seemingly by our own effort, it is much harder to trust God. I live this. I told you I make less money than now. When I got out of college, I went to New York City, got a job up there doing investigations and uh, security management at a, a corporate headquarters for a retail company. And money was good back in the 90s. I mean, Bill Clinton had his issues, but he kicked that economy in gear, let me tell you, because money was rolling in New York City. I mean, out of college, I went out, I bought all new furniture from Ethan Allen, had a brand new car I was leasing, ate at all the nice restaurants in New York City. I was living the dream. It was awesome. And the more I lived that, the more God was just, I got this. You're good. I'll see you on Sunday. I'll see you when I go to the hospital. But for right now, we good. When your needs are met seemingly by your own effort, it's much harder to trust God. I remember as a little boy, my dad was a preacher. And uh, I grew up in a home that did church like 24-7. And one of the routines, because my dad would always get so tired, I have to do it now even myself when I preach on Sundays, is I have to take a nap in the afternoon. It just mentally exhausts me to no end. Uh, I don't know how Mark does it week in and week out. He has got to be completely drained. But one of the things we always did, whether we wanted to or not, Dad made all of us take naps on Sunday afternoon. And some of you right now are like raising holy hands saying, thank you, Jesus. He's finally, finally covering some ground I wanted to hear, right? And I, I used to hate it because no, no kid wants to really take a nap on Sundays. My kids fight me on all the time, and rarely do I make the, the older ones take naps. Um, but I remember vividly as like a seven, eight-year-old, remember laying in my top bunk after a Sunday sermon. I don't even remember what dad preached on. It might have been money or something. But I remember laying there and literally wrestling with God as like a seven, eight-year-old saying, okay, I am willing to believe that you are God and that you're real and I will give you my entire life. All I need you to do is give me five dollars. Five dollars. Why not? That was the exact amount. And I remember saying things to God like, I don't care how you do it. You can just randomly have me get out of my bunk later and find it laying on the floor. Or when I roll my pillow over to get to the cooler side of it, which you know a lot of you do because it's where true life is found. When you roll it over, God, I just want to find that $5 laying right there. And like, I won't say anything to anybody. It'll be between you and me, God. It'll be our little thing. But I will know with confidence you exist. And I went back and forth, back and forth. I don't think I ever took a nap. And these thoughts were just running through my mind. And don't you know, everywhere I went when I got up, I was looking. Pulling open doors in the kitchen cabinets, looking under the bed, looking in my sister's closet. I was looking at just $5. Do you think I ever found that? Heck no. And I think there had to be an element. I believe in my heart there was an element of God that was laughing at me as only a father would laugh at their son saying, it's not about that. I don't work that way. I don't work that way. Because if I had what I wanted, I wouldn't want God. And that's what it boils down to. <clears throat> Jesus made it painfully clear in his ministry that wealth makes it hard. Remember this passage in Luke 18. 
Verse 18 through 24, a ruler approached him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have. And distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Now listen to Jesus. And Jesus, seeing that he became sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. What was Jesus' point? You shouldn't have money? No. His point was you can do everything right. You can keep all the commandments. You can live almost what would seem like a perfect life on the surface. But ultimately, if you're not completely 100% dependent on me, then I'm not Lord. So in order to do that, I want you to get rid of the one thing in your life, in this young man's life, he was holding on to was wealth. And the young man, I can't do it. Can't do it. I've often wondered if Jesus continued to have thoughts about that young man. After he walked away, sad. Because I think Jesus was saddened by it as well. And it's such a contradiction to the American dream. Right? I mean, we live as if we're supposed to work to get to retirement. So that someday we can move to Florida, have 10 really average years, sucking on jello, going to dinner at 4 o'clock to get the special, driving around in a golf cart, yelling at all the fast whippersnappers going by, playing shuffleboard and bocce ball, hoping the grandkids come and leave a week later, watch our game shows, go to bed complaining about how we hurt, and get up and do it all over again for 10 years and then die. I, I just can't believe that's what God has in mind. It doesn't fit. So I don't care if you're 20, I don't care if you're my son's age, 12, 11, I don't even know how old you are right now, I don't care. I don't care if you're young, I don't care if you're in your 60s, I don't care if you've got a month left till retirement, uh, you know, I don't care if you've already retired and you're just here for the weekend. Understand something, God's desire for you is not to just sit back and relax the last 10 years of your life. God's desire for you is to be solely dependent on Him and be about the kingdom's work. And anything that we allow to take place of lordship in our life is against God. I don't care if it's sex. I don't care if it's anger. I don't care if it's determination. I don't care what it is in your life that is Lord for you. If, it, if you can't say Jesus Christ alone is Lord, hmm, that's a checkup. That's something you need to evaluate let's keep going verse four five and six here we go second half behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the lord of hosts you have lied uh, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter you have condemned and murdered the righteous person he 
does not resist you. So point number two is this. Position should never matter more than people. Do you understand that? Position in this world should never be more important than people. The most important asset, the most valuable thing that God has ever made is people. It's one of the many reasons, one of many, many reasons I love our military. One of many reasons I celebrate veterans on this weekend is because those are people that value people enough to say, I'm willing to put my life down so that you can be free and live. Because people matter. Just like our law enforcement. I love law enforcement. Why? Because they are willing to put themselves in harm's way to protect people. You should go out of your way every time you see a serviceman or woman or a law enforcement officer or a security safety person and thank them for loving you enough to look out for your safety. That's a little extra tidbit. It wasn't in my notes. So James here is not saying that having money in and of itself is evil. He's given us a warning, essentially saying that if you're not careful, your position in life will become more important to you than people will. You'll you'll skirt around the issue, and at times people will seem important, but ultimately at the end of the day, people will matter to you more than anything else. And it reminds me a little bit of what C.S. Lewis, I'll just abbreviate one of the quotes for you, That one of my favorite quotes is where he says that when you interact with people, See them as more than just people. They are not just mere mortals. They are eternal souls that will spend eternity somewhere, either worshiping with you or cursing God in hell's torment. There are no mere mortals. Why? Because people are the most important thing God has ever created. And if we, if we notice the term here used in Scripture, it is Lord of hosts. Did you catch that? James refers to Jesus Christ as Lord of hosts. That is a weighty title. I'm going to break it down for you here as quickly as I can. Lord of hosts means commander-in-chief, supreme leader, the main man in whom there is no other. This is a tough title for us to wrap our brains around because we live in a culture and it doesn't matter who's in charge or not. Our culture today is demanding almost that we question everyone in authority, that we don't have to show respect, that we don't have to show dignity. And I'm not talking about just the president of the United States. I'm talking about teachers in classrooms and I'm talking about employers and I'm talking about people that, that lead in various areas of our life where The mindset today is, I don't have to submit to you. I am my own person. And that same mentality carries over to God as Lord. That's one of the reasons I teach my children as frequently as I can. I expect you to obey me and show me respect the first time I speak to you. Why? Because I'm trying to train them that as they go, when God speaks to you, he expects you to not only show him respect, but to obey him immediately and not sit back and say, well, do I feel like that? Well, I don't know. Well, why are you asking? asking me that. Well, I'm not sure I want to do that. And we live in a day and age where it's okay and it's almost seen as cool and you're the hero if you're someone that sits up and shows disrespect and you don't have to agree with everyone, but could we please just start recognizing that authority has been ordained in our lives by God for a purpose. Even as I mentioned earlier, law enforcement, the military, God has ordained those people to serve in those offices and whether you like them or not, God expects you to respond to them in a certain way. That's why he says, pray for those that lead you. Pray for those that are over you. Don't sit up and be a jerk. 
Why? Because when you act that way, you're going to act that way to the king of kings when he says, hey, I want you to let go of that and give me your life. I see it. I see it in young people. I see it in my own family with people that I love that I'm, I'm pleading with. Please make Lord of your life. I'm not sure I want to do that right now. It breaks my heart. Why? Because it's all that matters. It's all that matters. Timothy says it this way in chapter 6, verse 6 through 10. Godliness with contentment is great gain. With contentment, being happy with what God has given you. For we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of the world. If we have food and clothing, with these things we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love, not money itself, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving, catch this, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Why? Because they don't need God anymore. Because position matters more than anything else. Here are just a few of the breakdowns of this word Lord in the Greek and the Hebrew. Catch this. Someone that has the power to fully decide every situation. Master, possessor, owner, authority. The one that has the final say. One who is in absolute control. Is that true of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? When it comes to everything, when it comes to how you feel towards your spouse, is he Lord? When it comes to doing the right thing in the classroom, is he Lord? When it comes to what you should do with that item you found, that money, that object that is not yours, is he Lord? Is he Lord in your work environments? Is he Lord when you discipline and love on your children? Is he Lord when you interact with your neighbors? Is he Lord? That's what this is about. And we're foolish if we think someday we're going to stand before a warrior king who has absolute authority, absolute say in everything, and justify how we lived our lives as if him being Lord wasn't quite as important as it should have been. We're foolish. So let me finish with my last point. He says there at the end of the text in 5 and 6, You've condemned and murdered, in verse 6, you've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He, referring to the righteous person, he does not resist you. This is my final point. Ultimately, people won't be able to resist you if you're in power and you have money. People can't resist you. They have no choice. But we need to understand, ultimately, God will resist you. God. And I don't think that's a side of the equation we want to be on. That the most all-powerful, only God would resist you. That's heavy. That's heavy. Make no mistake about it. The cries of those that are taken advantage of, the poor, the destitute, the broken in our societies, in our community, in our neighborhoods. And it is everywhere. Make no mistake about it. God hears, and ultimately, he's going to make right all the wrongs that exist in our planet. All of them. 
He doesn't ignore the voice of the poor and the destitute and the broken and the hurting. And I love that he demonstrates in that in Scripture, always reaching down, picking up the prostitute, always reaching out to Moses, the murderer, David, the adulterer, and saying, there's grace, there's mercy, there's forgiveness. Just come back and make me Lord, and I can deal with any addiction, any emotional problem, any sin and any brokenness. And you're like, I got that. I can handle it. I'm God. But you got to come to me and make me Lord. So this is, this is the big part right here. Catch this. This rocked my world and literally brought tears to my eyes when I, when I did this. So according to Pew Research, 9 out of every 10 Americans, 9 out of every 10 has a standard of living that is, ablo- that is above the global middle income class of the world. So 9 out of every 10 Americans live above what the world would deem as middle class. Hang on, it's getting ready to get a lot worse in here, okay? So I started looking at, at my finances and saying, so where do I fall in this as far as, because again, I, I approach this text and I, I, I think, well, I'm not very rich. I got, I got money and I got some basic things, but I'm not very rich. So you can go to a website, you can write this down. You might find it interesting if you're nerdy like me, but you can go to a website called globalrichlist.com, enter your salary, and it'll break it down where you compare to the rest of the world. Now, be prepared if you do that. So I'm, I'm going to tell you where I break down, okay? So based on my income, I'm in the top 0.057% of the richest people in the world. Not top 1%, top 0.057%. Y'all didn't know I was so influential, did you? There are seven, roughly 7.6 billion, billion with a B, people on the earth today. I make more than over 7,566,000,000 people. Keep in mind my salary is 31,900. <clears throat> in just 1 hour I make roughly $20.78 based on my hourly rate and the hours I'm required to work each week. Meanwhile, the average laborer in Ghana makes 8 cents in the same amount of time I make $21 nearly. The average employee in Indonesia would take 53 years to make what I make in one year. You still feeling poor this morning? It takes me one minute, 43 seconds to earn a Coke. Not Coke, a Coke. (laughs) It'll take someone in Ghana seven hours of work. Me a minute, seven hours in Ghana to earn the same privilege of drinking a Coke. This one really blew my mind. My income alone, what I make, could pay the monthly salaries of 174 doctors in Kyrgyzstan. My monthly salary, what I make, can pay for 174 doctors in another country. Now, it's easy to sit back and say, well, yeah, but those countries are poor and da-da-da-da-da, and we're not over there. I remember mom, you know, hey, there's poor kids in Africa that would love that food. And I remember saying, well, box it up and I'll walk it to the post office for you, mama. I remember all that, right? And I know that that can easily be our default. But do you understand how blessed we are to be Americans? You may not like and agree with everything in this country, but make no mistake about it, we are beyond blessed. God has given us more than we can possibly and fathomly imagine. 
We can't even wrap our minds around what it means to make eight cents on the hour. Because if I want something, I'm going to leave Hope Fellowship here in another, I don't know, couple hours. And I'm going to go over here to my friendly Walmart and I can have anything I want in that store pretty much. Anything. I want new tires for my fancy car. I'll have to talk it over with my wife because we co-budget. But I'll have to go do that. By the way, I don't have a fancy car, but compared to the world, I do. If I want to go and get me a whole fried chicken, I can do that. Forget one Coke, I'll buy a 24-packer. And it'll be gone in the middle of the week thanks to my family. That's how it happens. If I want a new outfit, I'll go to the store and I'll buy it. And we want to sit back and be like, but I'm not wealthy, so James 5 doesn't apply to me. Yeah? Are you dependent on God when you walk into Walmart to get your groceries? How about when you pull up at the gas pump and don't even give it a thought to jump out and put about five, six, ten bucks in your tank? Do you have to sit there and think, man, God, if you don't provide, I'm not going to make it down to that job that pays me eight cents an hour. You're trying to make us feel guilty. Yeah, I am. Because I want God to be Lord. I want you, I want me to be dependent on him. And one of the things that James is warning us here in this book is that money will keep you from being dependent on God because your needs will be met and you will think, I don't really need a lot of God. I need some God because I got this issue, but I don't need to be fully, wholly, solely dependent on him. So I leave you with three questions at the bottom of your bulletin. I'm just going to read them to you, and I I pray you spend some time thinking on these this week. And I pray you answer them, maybe even this morning. Number one, how dependent on God am I? That's a good checkup question. How dependent on God am I? Number two, do I really trust him to provide and take care of me? Do you know what it's like to trust God for your next meal? Number three, have I surrendered my wealth to him and told him, do what you want, all I want is Jesus. Hmm. I wrote that one just for me. If it applies to you and you can use it, take it. Do I live in such a way that I say, Jesus, the outcome does not matter as long as at the end of the day I have you because I trust you implicitly in my marriage, in my finances, in my relationships, in my job, in my play, the things I love to do. Is Jesus Lord? I mean, what, what a season to enter into. Christmas season, a reminder that you just don't have enough and you need to buy one of everything. <clears throat> right? I mean, I, I wanted to put the tree up yesterday. I was seriously thinking about it. I love me some Christmas. I made the mistake the last couple of days of putting 98.9 on. <clears throat> Then this cold front moved in, and I said, it's a sign. <laughs> My wife and I stopped at a yard sale yesterday. I asked the lady, I said, Did, are you guys canceling Christmas? They had nothing but Christmas stuff for sale. I got two Christmas tree palm trees, fully lit, five bucks for two. Jesus works in mysterious ways. You can't argue with it. 
and everything around us for the next two months. I mean, we, we just skip right over being thankful on Thanksgiving. Now we spend all our time worrying about, well, I got to get little Johnny 30 gifts because last year I got him 25 and it just wasn't enough. I'm not saying gifts are bad. I'm not, I'm not condemning Christmas, the holidays. I'm not condemning going shopping for stuff. I'm not doing any of that. I just, could we start living life where we ask, Jesus, what do you want from me? Are you okay with this? Are you okay? Are we good? Is this choice I'm going to make, does it make you happy? This relationship, this conversation, how I'm treating my wife, how I'm treating my husband, how I lead my kids, how I do my job. Are you Lord? Are you happy? Is, is there something I need to change? Life is fragile. I've been reminded of that so much in the last few months. I'm not here to give you sob stories or anything like that, but life is fragile. And in a moment, in a moment's eye like that, we could be standing before our king. Just like that. And whether you want him to be or not, at that point in time, I assure you, he will be Lord. And you will bow your knee and acknowledge that fact. And he will either say, well done, come on in. He'll say, get out of my sight. I don't even know you. I don't recognize you. But God, God, I, I went to Hope Fellowship. I gave money when they passed that basket around. I, I volunteered. I served here. But did you make me Lord? I challenge you. Take your Bible this week. Look at every instance in the New Testament where it talks about someone becoming a believer. Paul, Silas, Barnabas, Philip. Every interaction where they're leading someone to Christ, they always say, believe with your mouth and confess that he is Lord. Because if he is not Lord, he's not your Savior. Let's pray this morning. Bow your heads with me if you would. And God, I love Jesus so much. He is so good to us. In spite of me, he is so good. I have let him down so many times. Jesus, we can approach you and say so many things to you. We can talk about how good you are. We can talk about the splendor of your name, of your majesty, the greatness of your glory the overwhelming weight of your grace and your mercy in our life. We can celebrate your countless achievements and successes over millennia. But none of that matters if we don't start by saying you are first and foremost supreme Lord in every area of my life. Long before I get into a scenario or a situation, I'm going to declare it and I'm going to believe it and I'm going to live my life with you as Lord. Father, break our hearts this morning to come to the place where we would fall before Jesus on our knees and confess that you are Lord of everything. Help us to surrender the things we're holding back 
Thank you for this timely, timely reminder in my life personally to trust you, to lean on you, and to know you're a good father. And you've got every situation I can encounter, and it'll be what you want it to be. I ask if you would just stand. We're going to worship and then close in, in prayer and be dismissed. I don't ever want anyone to feel pressure to come down here, but if you need to surrender to the Lord, if you've never done that, or you've ran so far, you don't even know what it means for Him to be Lord again, come forward, pray. I guarantee you, Matt, myself, Sarah, someone will come down here, we'll pray with you. Grab one of us on your way. Say, I need to talk to Jesus. Is He Lord of your life?